Welcome to the Xeno Learn podcast, where we ask the question, if you could teach the next generation one thing, what would it be? I'm your host, Claire, and I'm so excited for you to join us today. And welcome back, Xeno Learners, to another episode of the Xeno Learn podcast. Today, I am thrilled to announce that our guest is Berber. Berber, could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Berber. I'm a storyteller and I'm the co-founder of Tours That Matter. You are a phenomenal storyteller indeed. I'm very excited. I wanted to ask you to come here because we originally met at an entrepreneurship retreat in the north of the Netherlands. And I was just sucked into your stories. The atmosphere was perfect. Sitting by the fireplace with the wood crackling. The whole crowd, the whole room hushed. Just absorbed in the words as they hung in the air. And it was truly a mesmerizing experience. And so I would love to hear more of your stories and to learn from you and to learn about the art of storytelling and why it's so important to hear stories and different stories than our own stories, what we're so familiar with. Berber, could you do us the honor of starting with a story today? I will tell you a story. It is about a sultan. And the sultan is standing in front of the altar, about to be married to his new wife. And he lifts up her veil and he likes what he sees. She has rosy cheeks, she has little sparkles in her eyes. So after the ceremony, he takes her into his bedroom and he starts taking off her clothes. Layer after layer after layer. Then he takes her into the bedroom, bathroom, sorry. And the bathroom, the bath is already filled up with nice hot water and the steam is coming out of it. The bathroom is filled with candlelight. The atmosphere is filled with exotic senses of sandalwood and lavender. And they go into the bath together and they rinse each other's body up and down and up and down. And then he takes her into the bathroom. And they indulge in pleasure the whole night. And when they fall asleep, they fall asleep into each other's arms. The next morning, the Sultan gets up, puts on his clothes, asks for his Prime Minister, and says, Have her executed and bring me a new one. So, it goes night after night after night, woman after woman after woman, until one day, a particularly Intelligent woman appears. Intelligent, beautiful, and very good in bed. When she spends the night with the Sultan, she gives him so much pleasure. He can almost not move anymore and he's just laying on the corner of the bed. And then she says, Sultan, can I ask you a favor? Because it's my last night on earth before I get beheaded the next morning. Can I please say goodbye to my little baby sister? And the Sultan, still laying on the corner of the bed, completely exhausted after all the pleasure he had, he says, Of course, darling, anything you want. 
So the little baby sister comes in and she hugs her sister and the hot tears are rolling down her cheeks and she's saying, I'm gonna miss you so much. Can you please, 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 for the last night, tell me one more bedtime story. And the woman says, I will, if the sultan allows me. And the sultan, still in the corner of the bed, completely exhausted, says, of course, darling, anything you want. So she tells a story. And she tells a story about genies and witches and men and women, love and betrayal. And she talks and she talks and she talks until she stops in the middle of the sentence because the sun is coming through the window. The sultan gets up, starts putting on his clothes, his trousers, his shirt, and he's closing the buttons. While he's doing that, he's thinking about the story he just heard and the characters in it and the twists and the turns and he realizes if I will have this woman executed, I will never know the ending. So then he thinks, you know what? I'm gonna let her live just one more night, just for her to finish the story. But of course, the story never finishes. So she just tells stories and stories and stories and night after night after night until after a thousand and one night have passed and they marry. Now for real. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Nothing else existed in this room for those three minutes while you were sharing that story. And I wish that everyone could have also seen your face and your eyes lit up and your expressions because you're not just a storyteller with your words but also with your presence, with your being, with your non-verbal communication skills. How did you get into storytelling? Thank you. Yeah, well, so the interesting thing is that I've actually studied law. Uh, I went to law school. I was completely convinced I was going to save the world. I was going to work for Amnesty mm -hmm. International. I did a master's degree in public international law. I specialized in human rights. I graduated and then I started working in law and I worked with refugees and it made me so unhappy. And I really felt like I was almost more part of the problem than of the solution. And at the same time, I discovered storytelling. In Amsterdam, we have quite a few places where you can do storytelling. I had a job then on the side, which was being a tour guide in Amsterdam. So I was telling stories and I ended up on stage. The reason I actually ended up on stage was I was listening to all the performers and all the performers were men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in the break, I went to one of the people who was performing and I said, but I don't understand why there are not any women on stage. And yeah. then he said, well, you get on stage uh. <laughs> and tell me one of your feminist stories. What is a feminist story anyway? <laughs> and then I got on stage and uh, this was seven years ago and I haven't stopped telling stories since. Wow. What a change of direction. <laughs> I recall you saying that you were in law and you had shared a story or two about your time as a lawyer when we first met. But I think hearing that that played such a pivotal moment for you, that you attended a storytelling night and you were a tour guide on the side and that you were struck by the lack of women sharing their stories. Could you share a little bit about how you felt in the moment? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because in the beginning when I told stories, I told a lot of like these feminist stories 
And at a certain moment, I, I stopped doing that because mm-hmm. I noticed just giving my perspective, whatever it is, it's strong enough in itself. In the end, I love listening to men. I love their stories. I think many of them are very hilarious and I love it. But I remember I saw a comedy show on Netflix and it was a female comedian. I remember that I almost cried when I saw it because it was the first time that I saw a woman telling stories that I resonated with and that I recognized. And all of this time, I've been watching men who are hilarious and I love them, but it's not my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do love that story. I know exactly which Netflix show you're talking about. It was Ali Wong, right? Mm -hmm. In one of her specials. And I resonated very strongly with another female comedian too the first time I heard her. I loved listening to Eliza Schlesinger because she in her stories would critique patriarchal norms and narratives about growing up, about makeovers, about finding love, about boyfriends and relationships. That was really pivotal to me too and turning around and start thinking and critiquing other stories by other comedians and certainly it opened my mind up to looking for different comedians who I could relate to more because this was the first comedian whose story I felt I could really relate to and it sounds like that was the same for you. Yeah, and I thought it was also interesting because she's a woman from the US Mm -hmm. uh, with an Asian background, Mm -hmm. but still she has vagina, I have one. (laughs) Yeah, I, I felt like, ah yeah, I get what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. So you had this pivotal moment and you were moving away from law. You're working at an NGO and you moved away from that towards storytelling full time. How did you then shift and share your gift of storytelling? Well, first of all, like my main income for a long time has been being a tour guide in Amsterdam. I love doing that because it's a it's a very low threshold for people to come on a tour. Like the, it doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter. They don't even have to be good English. They don't have to have a high educational background. They just come and they want to know and they want to learn and they want to hear stories. Then I tell stories that are different than what they're used to. So I don't just talk about how Amsterdam was the richest city in the world in the 17th century, but also about the atrocities of the colonial empire and the horrible, horrible things that we did. But I also relate it to today, because when we're talking, for example, about the Dutch East India Trading Company, let's be honest, it's not like today we're not exploiting people anymore. We're still doing it. So I like to pinpoint things that happened in the past, but also about the present. I think if you talk about Anne Frank, we should talk about the refugee problems of today as well. Because Anne Frank asked for asylum three times in the US. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yes. Her father asked for asylum for his family three times, got refused three times. And we are a block away, a canal away from the Anne Frank house right now. Yeah. I hear the bells the whole night and Frank also wrote yes, about the bells. She wrote about hearing the bells and she wrote about the creaking of the floorboards. And I recall going to the Anne Frank house and crying 
because I had just reread her diary in preparation to go and see the Anne Frank house and she talks about staying so quiet she doesn't want to make the floorboards creak for fear of being found and being caught walking around in the Anne Frank house hearing those floorboards creak makes my skin crawl it's mm. so somber <laughs> I couldn't think of a another word for it three years ago and I can't think of a another word for it today it's just so chilling and somber yeah well I think the Anne Frank story when we're talking about the power of storytelling it's so amazing what she has done and what her father has done for mm -hmm. her yeah. uh, by publishing the book because what the Nazi regime tried to do was dehumanize the people that they did not consider normal. Yeah. And this was not only Jewish people, it was also people with different color of skin, different kind of sexual orientation, different kind of physical and mental abilities. Yeah. And they were being dehumanized. If you dehumanize a person, you take away their story. That's why I tell the story in the beginning is to say the woman from the Thousand and One Night, her name is Shahrazad, she can only live because she's still telling the stories. That's mm -hmm. why she's surviving. Yeah, so what Anne Frank did is she said, I do have a story and I am human. And what is so beautiful now is that people from all over the world, like I re can relate to what's Ali Wong. Ali Wong. Yeah that also a girl from India can relate to her mm -hmm. or a person from Japan can relate to her. And then we can all realize, ah, this is what being human is about. I remember reading her diary the first time and reading about her love and, and boredom mm -hmm. and having a crush. And I mean, any girl has experienced these emotions and, you know, not wanting to do something your parents asked of you. Yeah. <laughs> Even as simple as that. All of these universal experiences, which when we start to share our stories, we can connect on these universal experiences. I think it was so powerful what you said earlier. If you dehumanize a person, you take away their story. Yeah. If you dehumanize a person, you take away their story. And how many times throughout history have stories been ripped away? Yeah, because it's if you take away a person's story, you dehumanize them. Mm -hmm. It goes you both take ways. Away, yeah. yeah, yeah. You take away that universal experience mm -hmm. that we all have. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> um, well, I'm so happy I came to visit you. <laughs> So in talking about dehumanizing and in talking about everyone has a story, I wonder if you could share the importance of hearing both sides of the story or different sides of the same story. How does that inform our perspective? Well, I think the power of storytelling, when you do it properly, the boundary between the teller and the listener disappears. And I have been sucked into that <laughs> forever. Uh, but uh, so in a way, I've been saying like, ah, yeah, I want women on stage. I want to listen to female stories, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, 
when a good storyteller is 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 on stage and he tells a story then he, he can bring me into his or her universe mm-hmm. and then i can really understand what it's about it's like reading a good book but then then in a different way mm-hmm. because like what you mentioned earlier as well is that oh i wish you guys would have been here you could have seen and smelled better <laughs> From the one and a half meter distance um, <laughs> because the sparkle I have in my eye or the tears that are flowing while I'm telling a story this is my instrument even more than the words that I use I've seen people standing on stage telling stories that finally with me clicked where their pain was and why I was a part of it or how I could change it mm-hmm. And that is the power of yeah, the power of of hearing a different side. I think that's really interesting the way that you say this kind of barrier between storyteller and listener disappears when you both feel like you're on the journey of the story together. How does two people who are different going on the journey of a same story together, how does that change their perspective of the story? I can just give you like a small example. When Corona came, I was like, "Oh no, I'm a tour guide. I lost mm-hmm. my income. What am I gonna do?" And I thought, "Okay, you know what? I don't even care about money now. I just want to give something to the world." So I started to give storytelling lessons online. Yeah. And what was interesting about that is that it was for free, and everybody could subscribe. And everybody was subscribing. So I had people from Sweden calling in, from Portugal, from Moscow. And I remember this couple that they called in, they called in from St. Petersburg. I don't know why, but in a way their story touched me a lot because they told a story about a trip going to Croatia and the freedom it gave to them. But they also explained how difficult it was to leave Russia. Because they cannot get a visa. They can they cannot enter Europe. They told both sides so how it was difficult to leave, but also how when they left and when they were in Croatia and they were there was this story about one of the girls being on a bicycle and of course I'm from Amsterdam, I love bicycles, and then cycling past the beach while on the right side there were the big trees, on the left side she could see the blue ocean and she could feel the wind through her hair and she felt so much freedom. And I could see it in her eyes and I also realized, wow, I have so much freedom and I do not even realize. And how many people don't have that freedom? So, yeah, I don't know. For me, it was very uh, eye-opening. Yeah. That sounds like... Because people can tell you, they can tell you, they can tell you or explain or you can read it. But if you really feel it with a person, same working with refugees, then you feel it. Absolutely. With refugees especially, I know that it always feels like a distant problem, but I didn't realize how diverse and how many refugees moved to my own hometown of London, Ontario, until I was working at the London Cross-Cultural Learner Centre, where I was asked to write a report about the 50-year history of the centre. And in doing so, I started to go through annual general reports. I started to go through old newspaper clippings, through old photos, through stories, asking people to tell me about the way things were at the beginning, asking the refugees who had just come three weeks ago what their experience was now. And I learned so much 
about how the whole world had come to little old London, Ontario because of massive global events, because of wars and atrocities and migrations and people seeking asylum in Canada, in London. It gave me a whole new understanding of my city, a city I had grown tired of, I have to say. A city that, as a teenager, I could not wait to escape from because I thought it was boring. Mm -hmm. But coming back and learning again who is in my city and realizing that the Vietnamese restaurant nearby, they have a history they come from a wave of refugees who moved to London, Ontario during the Vietnam War. And that's why I have a Vietnamese restaurant nearby. That's why there's a Vietnamese church nearby. Things that had blended into the background that I was not even aware of until I did the research and started to seek out the mm -hmm. stories of refugees and immigrants and people different than myself and my family. Mm -hmm. Very interesting you say that. That experience truly made mm -hmm. me feel proud to be mm -hmm. part of my city for the first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah it's interesting like, because I have my own company now uh, mm -hmm. called Tours That Matter. And I've learned so much finding stories and going around my city and finding new places and new initiatives and activists and all different kinds of perspectives that, uh, yeah, I, I really recognize what you say about being proud again of your mm -hmm. city or discovering a new way of looking and that's why that way also a new way of being. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about Tours That Matters. Why should I go on a tour that matters? What does it mean? <laughs> Well, the nice thing about Tours That Matter is that we are a positive impact tour company. So our whole company is built around making a positive impact, which I think today is so crucial. And this comes, this is not only, this is the things you do, this is the things you uh, learn, the things you say. We work with different themes. So I have one about tolerance and migration. I have one about colonialism and fair trade. We have one about urban agriculture and then we do not only talk about the past but also about the present and the future mm -hmm. and you meet and support change makers of Amsterdam. So when you go on an urban agriculture tour you will go to initiatives that work with uh, for example permaculture and doing research on that for the Amsterdam University. We talk about how we how we can change the, the, our relationship to agriculture, and uh, we're actually working on a new tour now about fashion. Oh, yeah, very interesting. We're gonna launch that on the twenty third of September. Very cool. I look forward to it. Are you still giving lessons for storytelling? Yeah, I just I went back offline. Uh, so I started teaching online and now I'm going offline and I'm uh, doing a course which is called Stories as Medicine. A spoonful of medicine. <laughs> Berber, I love to hear the stories and it sounds like your life involves being surrounded by stories. But how can people seek out stories that are different from their own? How can people go and find stories from others, from black, indigenous, people of color, people of different sexual orientations, people of different physical abilities? 
Where can they go find these stories? Yeah, I think there are many stories that should be heard. And I like your list. I think it's... <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. But I think this is definitely true. I think it starts with listening to your neighbor. It doesn't matter who it is. Everybody has a story. And of course, I do agree that we should hear more uh, female stories or indigenous stories or this kind of things. But just going out there and asking, how, how are you today? I remember during the lockdown, I went to the pharmacy and then I asked the woman, how are you? But I, I, I really thought, you know what? I'm just going to listen to the story. And she told me this whole story of how she had cancer a couple of years ago and that she had chemo and that's why now she's extra afraid. But that it was also good that she could still work and she was happy about that and seeing people. And then uh, just before I left, she said, thank you so much Aww. for listening to my story. You were sucked into her story. Yeah. So Verver, I have had an amazing conversation. I loved listening to you and I wrote some notes down. I was wondering if you would do us the honor of closing the podcast with another story. I will. So, the Sultan is married to a woman who is sweet as saliva and salty as tears. Every night when he goes to bed, he holds her in his arms and his heart becomes quiet. And in the morning when he wakes up, the first thing he sees is this beautiful creature. And he knows that his day is going to be all right. But one day, Sultan has to go travel. He's going to visit his brother. And his wife says, don't go. Please don't go. I had this dream last night and I have a really bad feeling about this. I really think you shouldn't. But Sultan has to go. So he leaves. But his heart is heavy and his steps are slow. Then he realizes he forgot a necklace he wanted to give as a present to his brother. So he rushes back to the castle and he runs back. He goes up the stairs, he goes through the hallway when he hears screams coming out of his bedroom. His wife screaming in a high-pitched voice. So he gets out his dagger. He walks towards the door. He slowly opens it. And there he sees his wife on the bed naked, covered in sweat, having sex with another man. What do you think the Sultan does? Takes his dagger and plunges it into someone. <laughs> he does not only plunge it into someone, no, he chops both his wife and her lover into pieces and he's just stabbing and stabbing and chopping and body parts are going left and right and intestines are going all over the place and then he's sitting on the floor covered in blood and sweat and he looks around him and he sees his beloved all in little pieces and he's just screaming why why did you make me kill you why from that moment, the sultan is another man, becomes pale and skinny. And every night he marries another woman. And every night he hopes that she will cure his heart. But in the morning when he wakes up, the 
pain is still there. And he has her executed to make sure that she can never cheat on him and break his heart again. One day, very beautiful woman arrives and she starts to tell him stories night after night after night and after a thousand and one nights have passed the heart of the sultan is cured and they marry and live happily ever after oh wow goosebumps yay thank you so much berber it was a pleasure it was so fantastic thank you so much thanks for having me where can people find you www.toursthatmatter.com or berberstoryteller.com So you heard it here. We'll include both of those links in the description of the podcast today. Berber, thank you so much. Thank you. again so so much Berber for coming on to the podcast I hope everyone enjoyed listening to the stories of the Sultan and to our conversations as much as we enjoyed to record them I have four takeaways so here they are number one stories are an amazing tool for connection number two there is always another side to the story number three If you dehumanize a person, you are taking away their story. And number four, if we want to start listening to other stories about different people, it starts with listening to your neighbor. As previously mentioned, Berber can be found at www.toursthatmatter.com or www.berberstoryteller.com. That is it for another episode of the Xeno Learn podcast. Please consider following us on all social media at Xenolearn, that's at X-E-N-O-L-E-A-R-N, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be back very soon with another episode. Bye for now. <laughs>